Jesus, Jesus, Jesus likes girls. Jesus, 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 Jesus likes girls. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus likes girls. Hey, welcome. Welcome, guys and gals. Welcome, welcome. to the podcast. <laughs> welcome to Jesus Likes Girls. Welcome, I'm everyone. Zena the Warrior. I'm Shay Shay O'Casey. And we're back. We're back in the saddle again. We're back. Yep. So, hi, guys. What's up, boys? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're an inclusive podcast, and we want to be available to everyone. Men, women. Non-binary. Everyone all... in between. Get on board. It's so, so hi. Hi. I haven't seen you in a while. I haven't seen you. We were on a vacation. Well, it was you. I was not on vacation. But, you know, I was on vacation from the podcast. That's true. I had a great time. I was, uh, I seriously relaxed for seven days straight. It was nice. Praise God. Yeah, it was really good. And I'm sad, but it went by so quick, you know, mm-hmm. seven days is not enough. A true vacation needs to be like... 11. 10 at least. 11 to me is the magic number. Okay. Depending on who you're with. Good point. But <laughs> I mean, 15 may be too long. Yeah, 15 gets to be... Gets you start to think about how much work you're missing out on. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, 15 days of what I've spent so far, far out exceed, exceeds the uh, salary I'm paid. We got to go. <laughs> <laughs> we need to pack up our shit and get home. <laughs> no more ice. No more trips for ice cream. Yeah, it can get old, but seven days, it didn't get old. I'm glad. It was nice. And you had really nice weather. We did, we did. The first few days were very sunny, lots of beach time, and then the last couple of days were in the 70s, so we did like some little towns and day trips and dinners out and all of that good stuff. I'm glad. Yes. for you. Thank you, Shay. So what's been going on? Did you watch any of the Olympics? Yes. I love the Olympics so much. (laughs) I love sports. I watched a horse trot sideways. I did too. I watched water polo. Nice. Women's volleyball. Yes. Simone Biles. I haven't seen any of the gymnastics except for a little bit of highlights. Yeah. Simone Biles. Um. Wow. Right. Badass. I mean, goat as a motherfucker. The goat. The goat. The. And what she's gone through with the Larry Nasser. Oh my gosh. Sex sexual assault scandal well her whole life is like what she's gone through you know this amazing athlete and she's just been like pressed and pressed and finally she was like you know what i got the twisties i'm out (laughs) word sounds funny i agree and i am very tempted to use it in my everyday vernacular twisties i got the twisties right now probably well do you know what the twisties mean yes Okay, well, in case you don't out there, um, it's when you are, <clears throat> they compare it to like when a pilot is flying mm-hmm. and they are trained never to look at the ground mm-hmm. because if they do, they involuntarily just begin flying the plane towards the ground. Correct. And so when it's they're- It's kind of like in Top Gun when Maverick and Goose- we're flying yes. and Goose got the twisties. Exactly like that. And so when those gymnasts, especially Simone Biles, mm-hmm. who does these amazing feats of movement in the air, acrobatic, just stunning movement, it's like diving into water with no water. But I guess initially, when you're training to learn that, you have coaches call out where you're at in space to mm. you. So you 
eventually it gets into your body and you have body memory of the moves. Mm -hmm. But she got the twisties, which means she was in (laughs) mid-twist and she forgot her space like her place and space. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that she landed unhurt was itself amazing that she was able to get out of the tailspin and land without mm-hmm. injuring. Like many gymnasts say they could have never done that. Mm-hmm. But once that happened, she was like, my mind and my body are not connected and I will hurt myself. And yeah. she stopped. Um, I What I really appreciated was the amount of support that other athletes have shown her during her coming out and um, advocating for herself. So there were some things happening that were really interesting, but I think the one I want to talk about, which I think is the most horrific, oh, is no. is um, this issue of the fencer. The fencer who got to go to the Olympics even though he um, was charged and is under investigation for three uh, sexual misconduct. Okay. And then, well, you know who (sighs) Ibram Kendi is? He wrote How to Be an Mm -hmm. Anti-Racist. He tweeted about this and just pointed out, like, the things that straight white men, the the allowances that are made for them in our society is highlighted through this. And I really love this article, which is, uh, let's see, where's this The from? Guardian. The Guardian. And it's talking about Shakari Richardson, who was disqualified for smoking recreational marijuana because her biological mother died. And so she was kicked out of her um, solo run. But Alan Hedzik, who who is the um, alternate for the U.S. fencing team, who has three charges of sexual misconduct against him. He initially was not allowed to compete, which he appealed and was then allowed. But two of the women were at the Olympics that he has. Wait, um, two competitors in the Olympics? He assaulted two competitors? Allegedly. Oh my God. Just wait. Wait till you hear this. And so he is allowed to go, but he, A, cannot fly with his team. They give him a his own private jet, private ride. Oh, my God. He's not allowed to stay in the Olympic Village near women, so they book him at a hotel. 25- You're joking. I'm not joking with you. So they book him 25 miles outside of the Olympic Village so he can participate. Wow. That's, uh, that's the double standard that is being played out. And I think it's interesting, like, all of the ways the double standard is being uh, magnified and then answered at the Olympics in these various ways, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I, I can honestly say I haven't thought about it at all. Um, I've only been watching horses trot sideways. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the horses trotting sideways. <laughs> What's to say? How does it happen? I mean... How do they not trip? How do they teach them that? I just, everything about it confounds my brain. I mean, but like, I have no idea of any of the terms. I'm making some up in my head, like corsage. I don't think that's right. (laughs) Then they do like the side to side and the, like the canter and the, I don't know. But Were you watching this with your mother-in-law? No, I wasn't. I was in like a restaurant and it was on and I I just got transfixed. At first, I didn't care. Yeah. Like, I was just sort of like, whatever. Wait a minute. 
how are they doing that? Like, it's so amazing. I know. Like, how how do you get a horse to do that? Legit. I had the exact same experience, only I was working, and it was on the TV because I have the Olympics on 24 hours a day when I'm at work. Okay. And, yeah, I haven't actually sat down and planned on watching a full coverage of anything. I've only just tuned same in and seen things. things. Yeah, me too. Same. Well, one interesting oh, thing that's happened since we've started the podcast is I've had two separate people <gasps> approach us and say that they've never heard the word complementarianism before. Well, I think podcast. I even outed myself when we were talking about it. I didn't know the term of the word either. Oh, you didn't? Mm-mm. I just okay. lived it. Exactly. <laughs> right. And so I thought it was interesting because both those women are Christians. Mm-hmm. They're not from evangelical backgrounds, though. Mm-hmm. And so one of them asked us directly. She was like, they actually teach you this? Remember? Yes. So she she asked us that and we're like, Yes. And so um, we thought we'd take a little dive into complementarianism and really kind of lay it out. And at the same time, an article came out that was in The New Yorker called The Unmaking of Biblical Womanhood by Eliza Griswold. Excellent article. It really is. Excellent. Like, this article in and of itself was pretty much the catalyst of any of the research that I did and insights that I have today Mm -hmm. based on this article. And she focuses on an author whose name is Beth Allison Barr, who wrote a book called The Making of Biblical Womanhood, How the Subjugation of Women Became Gospel Truth. Mm-hmm. And it was Did fascinating. you read that book? No. No. But um, I wanted to go after reading this article. Yes. But the article itself is so excellent. Like It's really like, prolific. There's so much in it. Yeah. And that's... That's what um, we were going to talk about today. But um, what what I think was most revelatory for me about this article was how complementarianism was a created construct in retaliation or response to the feminist movement. Like when you and I were little in the 70s, you're like playing in the beach in California. I'm <laughs> running away from home in the streets of Detroit. Like... <laughs> we had no concept of this larger christian political undertaking that was happening against women in the 60s and 70s but it was alive and well and happening and then like 20 years later when we stumble upon the shores of christianity that was all set up for us you know but we didn't understand that literally the word complementarianism was coined in 1988 that's what that's what one thing that was super shocking about the article right like dr dobson and that time period i was like it's that recent that recent i assumed like it started out of the 50s you know right or or that it was truly biblical like that that people in american churches talked about the leadership of men of at the family helm was a ancient idea but it's not it's a modern idea and that's the part where i was just like what (laughs) it doesn't even make sense i know and so then i was just like even more not disgusted not humiliated but something like more embarrassed that i fell for it or had any part in it in my christian walk i i felt the same way because i was deep in it you were deeper than me but i didn't know no neither did i and i think the majority of those women that we were in community with yeah also didn't 
now. I think so, too. Because they all came up at the same time we did, you know? And they didn't have any underlying reasons to let themselves be manipulated or to manipulate other people into believing something. We all believed it was the gospel. Right. Yes. And so um, I've got some notes here. It's It says the modern version of complementarianism was invented in the 20th century in response to the effective feminist movement of the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And so the feminist movement is happening and these Christian men got really fucking nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Watching- I would go as far as to say angry because angry, white yeah. evangelicals don't respond well to not being in control. And that's what they were losing. They were. Or they, they, they saw thought it they that were. way. You know, because really, what if they would have embraced it? Right. You know, could have been a totally different story, but no. Well, it would have been a different story for them being in control. Women believe it's biblical because they learn it in churches, but actually it's a post-World War II construction in order to send w- working women back mm-hmm. home. So... Um, the article mentions, again, Beth Allison Barr's book that I mentioned, and Kristen Dumez's book, Jesus and John Wayne, which I don't know anything about either. I love the title, though. Yes. So Beth, Beth Allison Barr was a teacher of theology. I, I, I can't remember exactly where. But she's teaching that women in the church were teachers, preachers, companions of Jesus, and saints and she's like where how have we lost this thread because she herself was raised as a conservative who didn't believe that she had the right to be an elder she preach brought, yeah, she was brought up in this culture too and she points out like after doing some of the research about it the main argument that people bring to the table about complementarianism are the letters of paul when he talks about men being the head of the family head o- over women mm-hmm. and she makes the argument that the letters of paul need to be placed in context they're not jesus's teachings but rather roman laws that paul mm-hmm. afterwards contradicts and subverts because because he then calls women the apostle of apostles or, you mm-hmm. know, he like champions women in other letters. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a straight through line. So it's saying the women's movement in the 60s began to fight these structures. In the 70s and 80s, the political right was forging strategic alliances with conservative leaders, arguing women's submission to men had a biblical precedent. And then there kind of arose this feminine hero in within the Christianity movement, whose name, maybe you've heard of her, is Elizabeth Elliot. <laughs> That she talked about this, that her in this article, yes. Oh, I missed that. I don't know. Okay, go ahead. But do you know Elizabeth Elliot? Say one book that she's read. I mean, wrote Let Me Be a Woman. Oh, yeah, I've heard of her. Oh, you have Women Thou Didn't she also write Women Thou Art Loosed? No, that's T.D. Jakes. (laughs) I just wanted you to say (laughs) Elizabeth Elliot was a missionary. Well, actually, her husband was a missionary, Jim Elliot, and there was a movie made about him called The End of the Spear. You know that movie? Yep. Did you have to watch it as yes, a Christian? I did. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so he's living his missionary life and the tribe kills him. And she moves back on her own and lives out her life with the tribe after. Oh, yes, Jim yes, yes. I do remember this killed. in the article now. Yes. And so in the 70s, she's believing that the culture is belittling the wife and the mother 
and she writes, Let Me Be a Woman, in which she claims women's equality is not a Christian ideal. And so in conservative Christian families, Elizabeth Elliot's name is like the equivalent of um, Gloria Steinem for liberal. Like they each have their sort of person that they're cheerleading or Hero. believing in and following. Mm -hmm. And so she was kind of the Christian equivalent in those days. Yeah. And so she gets championed by James Dobson because he's, she's saying exactly what he wants to hear. Mm -hmm. He's like, that's right. Women are better as wives. Women are better as mothers. And so he uses her message to promote family harmony based on male leadership and creates focus on the family in 1977. So these things the year are I was like, born. these things are like <laughs> piggybacking on each other to create this idea. So focus on the family also begins this sort of retaliation against feminism. Both of these movements are like just about seeing women come into independence and beating it back. But the but it's a subversive argument because they are trying they cloak themselves with their arguments saying that you're empowered as a woman to find your real place, which is in the home, taking care of your children, taking care of the home. Correct. It's a noble stature. It's a biblical noble stature. Right. It's you're not being diminished. No, no, no. You're being empowered to be your what God wants you to be. No. What God it, has ordained you to be. And in fact, feminism is one of the greatest threats to the institution of family. And so they use that Ugh. platform to control women, right. basically. Or if to you, subjugate them. If you take their perspective, you could probably find a lot of validation in that. Especially if you come from a broken home. I even hate that term, broken home. Okay. If you come from a place of, if you're, if you're a vulnerable person looking for your identity in God and people that you, you're in a place where you respect the people around you and they're telling you, this is what God wants you to be. This is what God has made you to be. And it is, it's an honor to be here. Then why would you question it? It makes sense. Right. If you read the Bible, right? Well, if you... It's biblical. Well, it's... it's That's tricky. Because I don't know that those women were reading the Bible necessarily as much as they were being taught about a lifestyle and being told it was biblical. And then when they opened their Bibles, they read it through that lens. That's what I mean. Okay. And that's the only way that it was ever presented to me. And I can't, I'm not a theologian. I can't argue. It made sense. It still would make sense to me now if I was trying to have an argument with somebody I would have to say, like, I'm sorry, I left my MDiv at home. You're right. I'm just going to go off what I what I think and perceive based on my experience with the Bible. And maybe I'm wrong. And that's where I stand today. Well, I think that what's kind of messing with me is the idea of how un, how how you can't separate this conservative pushback against feminism and modern Christianity mm -hmm. as if it is the truth. Right. You know, and that's still in my head, like yeah. that I, I have to divorce those things. Hence my previous statement. Yeah. I feel the same way. It's really difficult. And I think that's how a lot of women feel is like, I just need to leave the church because there can be no reconciliation between what I feel and think and even what I perceive from the Bible and what everybody is telling me about my place in the church, in my home, in the world as a woman. Right. They, they, they don't marry. Correct. But it's bullshit. Correct. <laughs> And like people like 
Rachel Held Evans are helping us. Right, or this this woman, Beth Allison Barr, you know, like Or Eliza Griswold. Thank you, all of you. They're trying to be like, hello, this is not it. <laughs> knock, 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 knock. Like you need to hear and understand, you know? Yeah. But then, Shay, what? I think you might be a prophet. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, true. But proceed. Continue, please. Well, then it talk the article starts talking about John Piper and this other conservative guy, Wayne Grudem. They in 1987 found something called the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Have you ever heard of it? Not until I read this article. Okay, so the CBMW is how it goes, you know, that's how it's known. And so what the CBMW is, it's a theological think tank for complementarian ideas. So they create this organization. They found it. They author a book together called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And they draft a document called the Danvers State. And so do you remember when we were talking about um, sex? We're talking about how horrible would it be? You were like, thank God Jesus doesn't speak about specifics about sexual behavior Mm -hmm. because how terrible would it be if we had all these rules and regulations and people would have to know exactly what they were supposed to do or should not do or whatever Mm -hmm. well these guys made that oh great (laughs) so so shay (laughs) you in your spirit you picked up on Something that's been done. Wow. So they created the Danvers Statement in 1987. And it basically is an answer to the culture as women begin to leave their place in the home. I just looked, I just perused this for one second, this Danvers Statement. Yes. And the first thing I read was the tragic effects of this confusion and unraveling the fabric of marriage woven by God out of the beautiful and diverse strands of manhood and womanhood. Right. So yeah, they, they, um, <clears throat> the council's founders coined the term complementarianism in 1988. So oh. basically, this idea is just a like dressing down of all of the changes of culture. And they did it again, somewhat recently in 19, no, sorry, 2017, they created the Nashville Statement. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. As as an answer to culture, as transgender and gay identity comes into play. This one, this one is even worse. You could sign it. Oh, yeah. So... Do they sell rings? Promise rings? Probably. Nashville statement rings? But, so, it's basically, we affirm one thing, we deny something. And it's basically uh, the same sort of thing. Like, we're creating articles and rules in a think tank that will What? Look at this one. Article 3. We affirm that God created Adam and Eve, the first human beings in his own image, equal before God as persons and distinct as male and female. We deny that the divinely ordained difference between male and female render them unequal in dignity or worth. Correct. And so they're trying to, they always want to state that they think women and men are equal. They just have divine different roles. They would never say a woman isn't equal or that the role given to them is lesser. They're equal. Okay. But then we deny that differences between men and women are a part of the fall. So then it starts getting into male and female reproduction. LGBTQ plus. Correct. They're like, 
no, 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 no. <laughs> exactly. If you change your body, you're, you're s- nullified you- from the God-appointed link. No, we, we deny that you're nullified. If you change your body into a woman and you were a man, you're still a man. That's basically what they're saying. It doesn't matter what you say. It only matters what God originally created. And so what if you're born? I mean, look at how specific it gets. Those born with a physical disorder of sex development are still created in the And we deny that ambiguities related render one incapable of living a fruitful life for Jesus. They're they're trying to cover every single angle of a rule to dictate how people should live. And most of this is all regarding sexuality. All of it. The Nashville statement is. Mm -hmm. The Danvers statement is more about the subjugation of women under men. The Nashville statement is to say that any transgender or homosexuality identification or self-identification apart from born identification is sexually immoral. Sexually immoral, not... Not God's design. Not God's design. Doesn't have to be respected by the church. So, they they actually created those... Get this shit out of my face. I don't even want to look at this they anymore. Cr- they created those things. And what this Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood reminds me of is... Waco? No. It reminds me of when Jesus lived and the Pharisees had rules upon rules about the way to live. And when you broke any of the rules, you were beneath the religious order of the day. But the truth is that none of it was in the Bible. Like the Danvers statement, the Nashville statement, they're, they're additional texts that pe- men, white men from the 80s <laughs> to current day have created and said, this also is Christianity. Mm-hmm. And all of us ate it up Mm -hmm. we all ate it up and in that way it isn't any different than a cult to my to my understanding like when you take a text and you add it and give it as much weight as the bible but Mm -hmm. it's not the bible and say you have to obey this too i mean why is it any different than the book of mormon it's not it's really not i'm especially quiet today because this all affects my emotions Okay. Does it affect yours? Well, I, I've been thinking about it a, a while, yeah. so maybe I'm past the emotional response to it because it is fucked up. It's so fucked up. It's really And I've up. just seen so much abuse towards women in the church under the umbrella of this bullshit. Yes. And including myself. Right. And I, I made lots of efforts, many efforts to walk away from it and eventually did. But it's still in me. Mm-hmm. It's still um, patterns some of my thinking. And um, it's really so disturbing. I agree. I agree. Um, Barr had a quote from one reader at a book event that she gave. And it said, it was, it dawned on me that I was being trained to perpetuate a lifestyle and not to further a personal relationship God. Oh, I remember that quote. And it's like, ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding, ding. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I think this is good. I think it's good to arrive at a place where you realize and I realize like, oh, we bought it. We bought it. And, you know, we thought we were pursuing a relationship with God by pursuing the position that God ordained us to live. You know, the moment for me that one of the first moments where I knew the jig was up was I was in a women's group with a woman who I really respected, who had seven children. I don't even know if she had seven. She might have had 12, but I feel like she had seven. Seven to 12. Seven to 12 (laughs) children. (laughs) Yes. Throwback. 
But two of the women that were in this group were really young, okay. younger than me. One of them wasn't even married yet. She was like studying. She was like, she was like preparing to get married and joining us to learn how to be a good wife. And she was, that's, that was her self proclamation. She was like, I have no idea how to be a wife. So I'm, I'm in here to learn with y'all. One of the other woman was married and her husband had a drug addiction and she was really struggling with it. Then the, the friend who was there studying did get married. He had a gaming addiction. And so both of these women were, through the course of us meeting, started sharing their struggles with in their marriage and how frustrated they were and disappointed they were and were consistently being told they needed to be more loving, more quiet, more more of the model of a submissive wife and mm. less of an advocate for themselves and their own feelings. Mm. Like to be truly submissive would be to lay down your fears and frustrations to God and trust him and let him figure out the, the inner workings of what this man's struggling with. And if you love him well enough and good enough, then you will be sati- your own needs will be satiated. And I called bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> did you in the group? Yes. You did. I was like, I cannot believe that you're telling these women that they need to do A, B, and C and everything's fine. Like they're clearly in really fucked up relationships. Like drug addiction is not a joke. Drug addiction is not like something that you just say, you know, I'm going to make sure, make sure I make you dinner and love you enough and everything's going to be fine. And essentially these women were being abused by their husbands. Maybe not physically, but I'm sure it would have gotten there if enough time would have passed. Or that that same message is given to physically abused women. Correct. They might as well have been, right? Right. And I said, I can't be a part of this anymore. Like, I, this is so dysfunctional and it's very confusing for me because I love these girls. Aww. And I, what's confusing to me is I feel like I have a right to share and my thoughts and feelings with my own husband about his behavior for myself. And you're telling me I can't do that for myself. And you're also telling these women they shouldn't be allowed to do that for themselves either in I, I this doesn't make any sense to me and i don't understand how this is christian which was what was more concerning you know mm-hmm. how is jesus advocating that we that our voices are un- unimportant or that our thoughts and feelings are unimportant mm-hmm. that we are not partners together building a life together but that i am basically this man's servant and that'll lead him to christ how so that was the end of that in the beginning but i was such a strong advocate that i remember i feel like i shared this already maybe on the podcast that i had this friend um from romania who i really tried hard oh, yeah. to talk her into and you she was to. always very like, adamantly like I'm fuck you shannon <laughs> <laughs> i'm my husband's partner we're partners we we're doing this bitch together and thank god for her seriously <laughs> Because she helped me see the truth. Yeah. People speaking truth to one another is is love. And I went back yeah. to that later and thought she knew what she was talking about. And thank God she was willing to share her truths with me in the light of my antagonism, basically. Yeah, true. I think what makes me think about myself, like I think about when I really like, because I, like I've said before, like I could see, I came into a community that operated much more in this way mm-hmm. later on in my Christian walk. It wasn't what was first presented to me. And it, Same. And I could see the cup of Kool-Aid on the counter, you know, yeah. but I didn't drink it. But I remember the day I picked up the cup and I drank it. Hmm. 
And it was, it was like, I was struggling with something with Josh. I was dealing with a community that was really harsh about my parenting because of my child who had Down syndrome. And I remember getting down on my knees alone in my kitchen and just, just being like, I surrender all of this to you, God. And I will become like, I will basically shut my mouth. Mm-hmm. That was that was the impetus. Like I need to stop expressing the world as I see it, and I need to just let this other mindset become my life. And I remember, like it was physically painful to wow. pray the prayer and be there on the ground and just saying, like, "Okay, God, whatever you will," because I had so I'd finally bought it that what was being told to me was God, mm-hmm. and that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Like this, this uh, lifestyle being equated with biblical truth. And so what you said, like, I thought I was then coming closer to God. And what I'm curious about right now is what the fuck was I actually doing? <laughs> when you were saying, when you were talking about the, the, the literal experience, I was imagining what Jesus's response was. In heaven? Yeah. Like with, for, with you. Girl, on the up. floor with you, get next off. to you. Zena, get off the ground. Girl, wash your face. <laughs> Girl, change your shoes. <laughs> but how crestfallen he must have been. He's like, oh, damn it. I, no, how I thought how Zena was sad gonna... he must have been to think. I imagine that Jesus would feel heartbreak over our confusion and manipulative things that we believed in trying to get closer to him. I believe that he was probably, I mean, I imagine him sitting next to you on the floor while you're doing this and thinking, this is my child who is so brilliant, who loves her family so much, who loves her husband. And she's doing, she's, she's doing things, believing things that that, are false, that are lies, that are false, that were brought up in a think tank called the Biblical Council of Manhood and Woman by white conservative men in the 80s. What the hell? I don't even know. But, but I listen to Dr. Dobson daily. You know, he used to have Focus on the Family at 11 o'clock. I would listen, my kids used to listen to Odyssey, that um, kids t- story time show, which I still feel like I love, but... Maybe you should give it another <laughs> listen. <laughs> say something tomorrow. It's like a straight line from the Odyssey, Odyssey stories that are going to be like, oh, no. They were brainwashed. Seriously, man. I would put it on for them when they went to bed to listen to. It's like a podcast, you know? I know. I did. I never did the Odyssey route, but I remember being in someone's house who was all about those Odyssey tapes mm-hmm. and seeing the cassettes around and I was just like... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think the other redeeming factor is that Jesus also saw us today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he knew that probably everyone goes through a time of embracing ideas in their faith, which are just man-made attempts to try to get closer to God based on their own biases, you know? And that he was like, it's all right, girl. We're going to get through this. There's going to come a day where you completely reject this. And I'll be there with you. You know what I mean? I do. (laughs) I do. And he has. He totally has. And there's lots of other women in the world who also have emerged out of this cultish belief system that perpetuates itself through the evangelical church. Yes. I love this. Barr also said... 
this is not about deconstructing faith. It's about deconstructing culture. Mm. And I have to give, give mad props to that quote because I think deconstructionism in Christianity is the template that kind of the new white evangelical male voice is out there evangelizing. Like, what's that podcast that everyone loves and it's white guys and deconstructing faith? I don't know. Deconstructing Christianity? Something like that. But it's very popular. And for a long time, people were always sending it to me. And I would try to listen to it. But it was so much white guy mansplaining mm -hmm. that I was like, I can't. I can't listen to these guys. And this, this journey of deconstructing your faith, I think that Barr's statement is like, no, no, no. What you need to deconstruct is the culture of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Not your faith. Don't deconstruct everything you believe about Jesus. Deconstruct what you believe about Christian culture. Do the work. Like, have these hard conversations mm -hmm. that make you realize, like, I bought it. I was in it. I did it. And you know what? It was lies. And I'm now voicing a rejection of it. Like, that is creating new culture. Correct. Well, one of the other things that she said is, she said all of these abuse survivors and women come up to her and ask, like, what can I do? What do I do now? And she said, find somebody that you can tell. Because when you're isolated, you, you can lose your faith. Right. Because it's so lonely and so painful that's to right. just be stuck with these understandings and beliefs and be alone. Yes. You know? That's right. So tell us your stories. I don't know why no one who's listening isn't writing us any stories. Oh, you look so crestfallen. I am crestfallen. <laughs> I don't know why you guys won't write us. Well, part of the reason is because I will answer for the people. I will just put myself in their shoes and answer for them. Yes. This is a this is a huge process to go through. The demystification of America's evangelical Christian lifestyle. Oh my gosh. This this understanding of complementarianism is so subversive. That you don't even know you're in it. No. And so people might not be writing us because they don't fucking know what's going on within themselves. Women don't even realize that, that they're being experience. subjugated to this abusive doctrine. Correct. And so that's one of the reasons why they're not writing us. And B, it's scary as fuck to be super honest. Yeah. Because we're going against the beast. And the beast dictates American culture, you know? Yeah. I mean, evangelical Christians make up a majority of the culture here. As we saw Donald Trump get elected, they it's have so some true. power. I know. The second guy, Wayne Grudem, who co-founded the Council with John Piper, he became a huge advocate for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Wrote tons of articles about why he voted for Trump and defends him from a Christian standpoint. Mm -hmm. I mean, and so these things, this council, these Danvers statements, to subjugate women mm -hmm. was written back in 87. Mm -hmm. You know, what are we? What was I in 87? I was 12. 12. Yeah. You know? And so by the time we show up, the concrete is dried. Mm -hmm. People are walking the path and it's normal, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah. it, it's just a, it's just a made up statement. And here we all are, you know, and that's a hard thing to look at. It's incredibly painful <laughs> to look at your life and realize, and realize you were being abused. Women are being abused by being told that to get closer to God, you need to behave this way. That is abusive. Correct. And because who knows? Who knows what God actually has for you? Right. Who knows what God has for me? It's not the Danvers statement. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> and it's not 
the Nashville fucking statement, no. which is even more atrocious. I mean, they're both atrocious, mm-hmm. but who? The Nashville statement took it up a notch. It took it up. Because they got specific. They were like calling you out specifically about you who has some question about gender identity. Let me answer all your fucking questions for you. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you what Jesus thinks about it. You don't know. You don't know what Jesus has. For that's it. the best you don't know, because that's my line. You don't know. It's actually Matt's line. <laughs> but it's the motherfucking truth. You, you don't know. You don't. And you can't answer it for me. Right, or anyone and else. Why are you trying? Why? Because you want control of me? Because you want me subdued. That's the real reason. Because the white patriarchy wants control. Absolutely. Maybe it's it's actually, you know what it really is? It's like throwing down the gauntlet before God. Mm. It's like saying, hey... You know, ultimate creative force of the universe, I'm going to outline for humanity exactly what you mean. I mean, it's always been this way, honestly, if we look at history, you know, that men have been trying to hold on with clenched hands to control the culture of of everybody around them, at least in America. You know, I don't know world, all of world history, but... American history, white males have always been in control, and they always want to be. It's like no wonder people can't see Jesus. Yeah. Because the the people who talk about him are, like Jesus said, they don't enter the kingdom, and they stop others from entering as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like, nobody gets to see what God would actually want to do if, if people were welcomed in with love and acceptance. They're just busy building walls. They're just busy building walls. Isn't that ironic that, like, that was such a part of Trump's policy was that motherfucking wall? It was so metaphorical. You're right. You're right, Chad. So gross. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that I really do want to hear people's stories. Because, like, the stories that we've told, like, my pantyhose story at Moody... (laughs) Your story of having to go down the list of sexual men I've had sexual sex experiences with experiences to a male pastor alone in a room, mm-hmm. like my creepy older male pastor. Like I know women have stories out there, mm-hmm. and they might not even perceive them as wrong because they. Nancy's talking upstairs. I'm sorry. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> okay. Um. You you might not even perceive it as wrong because it was so fed to you as normal. Right. But I'm here to say it wasn't normal. I'm here to say it wasn't normal, too. And that you might have a story that's really helpful for someone else to hear so that they understand it's not normal. So that we understand it's not normal. Yeah. You know, we, we have to educate each other. I think just sharing our hearts when when we, we have experiences firsthand. When grouped together, when when we were grouped together with friends and we started sharing our stories, then we realized, what the hell? Like, we all have these stories? Right. And it was so shocking and healing for us to speak them and be free from them in some ways. Yes. And they they were such a part of our experiences that we... They were normalized and we had never, that was what was shocking is that all of us had never shared the, those stories before. And it wasn't like we were hiding them as secrets. Like you're no. saying, we didn't know how they really affected us. Right. Because even though you, like, you experienced that in a, this, your story, I'd heard of stories of people having to 
walk through the confession of all of their sexual partners before. Mm -hmm. I totally heard of that before. Mm -hmm. I've known people who have done that. I felt some impetus to do that as a newly married person with my husband because it was part of the culture. Right. That's the only reason you were ever alone in that room with that man. Right. Because the culture was there to make it happen. The Christian culture. The Christian culture. And in the same way, I could be taken into a luncheon and told to wear pantyhose because people had been writing and signing documents about dress code for women at that point for decades. Mm -hmm. And I was one of hundreds of thousands of women. Mm -hmm. You know, these things are so normalized, but they're not normal. They're not normal. And it just, it reminds me, like you were talking about the Pharisees of levels upon levels of doctrine that just got built up and how Jesus was constantly like breaking that down. And that's what I feel like a lot of women are starting to do and men probably too in culture now it's it's a simple response you know that jesus would give like the first one without sin go ahead and cast your own cast a stone you know like there isn't any of us who are outside of the things that are being propagated to us you know absolutely not none right but the council when you make it a council that sits on authority Based on achievement of what? That's what I'm wondering. Well, being a pastor for 30 years. And being without sin? And being able to... I mean, <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. John Piper has some special dispensation from Jesus, apparently. Oh. And that's what it is. You know, like, they're, they're attributed as having something that we all need to listen to what is it i don't know i'll i'll say this this makes me want to cry i was really disappointed to read an article that tim keller also advocates for complementarianism because I hold him on such a pedestal. I still don't even believe it. Like, I read the article. (laughs) (laughs) I'm quite certain it's factual, but I still don't believe that Tim and his wife, who I don't know her name, stand for complementarism in their church, because it's one of the few churches in the motherfucking country that I could say are doing Christianity right, that love one another, that stand for community, but they also advocate for this. Well... That's how I felt about Rasta's. It's so, it's so painful. <laughs> it's, it's a real damn shame. I mean, reading that about Rasta's was just like, I still, you know? I'm still not. You're still reeling. I'm still reeling. <laughs> I mean, Rasta's got so many things, right? Yeah. But then, subjugation of women. I mean, I just can't. And what was really sad about the Tim Keller part was that it's soft complementarism. Did you catch that? I did. I did. And so I was like, oh, God, that's even worse. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Oh, God. And so we were talking about, like, what makes it, what makes these people have authority, what enables them to, like, keep growing in en masse, you know? Yeah. And I think sometimes it's, like, really amazing insight. Sometimes it's, like, relativity and large, large works of love, you know? Charisma. I mean, Tim, uh, let's just, Tim Keller started a church, like, like a basement church kind of thing in New York. You yeah. know? Yeah. And it's grown it's grown unbelievably huge. Yeah. And it's all based on community. It's the tenant of what I think Christianity is when I look at that church. Gotcha. And that makes me want to follow him. Well, it's interesting. It's like they tap into some part 
of the truth about God. And then they can also believe things that are incorrect and bring it along. Like John Piper. It's hard for me to believe that Tim Keller believes things that are incorrect. He, he is a human, but it's so hard for me to grasp that because he's such a brilliant, brilliant scholar. Hey. But no. now I'm crestfallen. Well, I mean, John Piper, he wrote a book on Christian hedonism, which I loved. I Back in the day when I heard of Christian hedonism, I was like, oh, yes, let me read this book. <laughs> like, I was so about it. And it, it has a beautiful message that what you love, go for it. What you enjoy, do it. Because then you are actually, the way that you're built and you're made is, is what will bring glory to God. So invest in the things that you love. Don't turn away from them in some weird Christian way. Enjoy those things and bring it about, you know? Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, he's a founder of this council. It's like you can have some truth that's important and matters to a lot of people, and then you're also a human being. I guess that sets me free, kind of, you know? Good. Because that's me. That's you. Yeah. There's nobody that's going to get it perfectly right. That's the whole fucking reason we need Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but let's not create a council <laughs> let's not create a paper agreed <laughs> you have an oath for me i'm gonna i'm gonna be an oath keeper on that one <laughs> oh you could give me a fucking promise ring promise like, keepers i man. promise not to make oaths and statements about what christianity only is especially when it subjugates half of the human population. Oh, Jesus, save us. Oh, God. All right. Well, well I do really want to hear from from women. And me too. the one thing that I would like to hear see say is your story is important. You may not think it is. Just send it. Just send it anyway. Yeah. Who cares? Well, I think we quali we qualify everything, you know. Women are like is this going to be worth my time? Because we're so, you know, split up into a million different occupations. But it's worth your time. If you're listening to this podcast, it's worth your time. JCLikesGirls at gmail.com. And then the other thing is uh, we have an Instagram account, J Jesus Likes Girls, uh, no space. Check us out there. And someone, after our last Problems with Jesus, mm -hmm. wrote in and said, one problem you didn't cover that I had always is a huge sticking point for me is Jesus being the only way. Mm. And I was like, let's tackle it next, like next PCAST. Next PCAST, Jesus as the only way. I mean, we're just fumbling through day by day. <laughs> we can fumble right through that one. My gosh, that's, it's scary to me. It's scary to me too, but what do we got to lose? Good point, Shay. Good point. Just speaking our truths and trying to love God day by day. That's all we're doing here. And love one another. That's all we're supposed to really do anyways. What the fuck? All right. And so on that note, we are out. Thanks for joining us. See you later. Bye.